Hey, what's going on, guys? My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins, and I wanted to uh, kind of have a conversation about reparations. Uh, there's a lot of com there's a lot of discussion about reparations. Um, I just read an article in uh, NBC on NBC.com uh, where it looks like uh, reparations is starting to become more of a mainstream media discussion, meaning white people are now talking about it. Uh, so I thought that given that uh, we've got the attention of uh, some of the people in mainstream that it might be good to have a really thorough discussion about reparations. So I'm going to break some of this down for you. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of a deep dive. Uh, so for those of you that want to stick around, I hope that you will. And uh, we're going to get started in one second on drboystv.com right now. Here we are, clan, the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now, family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn it to intelligence. Please, none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Voice TV. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to DrBoyceTV.com, the home for intelligent black people. Uh, today, we're going to talk about reparations. And uh, I want to say hello to Gwen and Heru and Terrence and TSP. What's going on? And for those of you that are new to the platform, I want you to understand something. Make sure you know this. Uh, on this platform, we are black first. Uh, we believe that black people are capable of solving most of our own problems. Uh, I believe that black people uh, have the ability to make plans. We have the uh, desire and ability and necessity to rebuild our families, rebuild our communities, <clears throat> and build our wealth in a healthy way. If you agree with that philosophy, then uh, please stay. If you don't agree, if you don't want to be black and intelligent, then please leave. It's okay. Uh, uh, just put a hashtag B1 in the chat if we're on the same page. Uh, B1 is our calling card. Hashtag B and the number one. That means we're black first. We solve our own problems first. That's really important for us to understand. So thank you, Ruth and Calvin and Stevie and Raymond. I see you. All right, so let's talk about reparations. <clears throat> I just read this article about reparations uh, on NBC.com, and it got my attention because uh, when NBCnews.com is talking about reparations, that means it's becoming more of a mainstream conversation. And uh, the scary thing about mainstream media is that, you know, so they, they have the power and ability to elevate a conversation, but they always kind of mess things up especially when it comes to black people stuff. They, they just don't do it right. Um, black folks struggle because we don't have good leadership. Uh, we struggle because uh, we are having difficult problems being solved by people who, unfortunately, in many cases, can be considered to be absolute idiots. Uh, they are not qualified to solve these problems. Uh, in fact, if you recall, when Barack Obama was in office, uh, the whole discussion during the whole Obama presidency was black unemployment, black unemployment, black unemployment. And he kept he didn't invite any employment experts into the White House that I know of. Uh, Dr. Claude Anderson, who wrote Powernomics, one of the most respected economic minds in black history, lived right down the street from the White House. They never invited him in one time, but they invited Al Sharpton over 120 times. So no disrespect to Al Sharpton. I'm sure he can tell you how he can give you a good sermon because he's a pastor. I'm sure Al Sharpton could tell you where to get a good perm in your hair to make it nice, silky and smooth. 
but I don't think Al Sharpton is the guy to be talking about pressing and important economic issues in the black community. Now, what I want to impress upon you is the, the fact that they're, they're sending a message when they do this. When someone pretends like they don't really have the ability to solve a problem, like it's just too complex, it's just too difficult, uh, that it pretty much is them telling you they really don't want to solve the problem. Like, so when Joe Biden does an interview with Charlemagne the God, who spoke to some experts, he spoke to me and a bunch of other people about, you know, the, the discussions that needed to be had, uh, he, he gets very frustrated, right? He didn't like talking to Charlemagne. He didn't want to meet with Ice Cube at all because Ice Cube was consulting with black scholars. He was consulting with black experts. They don't want to hear from black experts. So when that happens, what they do is they say, let's get Cardi B on the phone. Let's go talk to Cardi B. Cardi B, you know, the lady who tells your seven-year-old daughter to sell WAP for a living and who is, uh, you know, teaching our kids how to grow up and become strippers. We'd rather talk to her because that's the person that we need representing the black community. So one of the things that you have to understand about the black misleadership class is that the black misleadership class, those aren't leaders at all. Uh, these are individuals that were selected by white supremacy to lead black people out of white supremacy. So when white supremacy is selecting the people, that are supposed to lead you out of white supremacy, are they going to be successful? Yes or no. Are they going to be able to get the job done? Give me a yes or no. Are they going to be able to make progress? Give me a yes or no. Now, what, what is my evidence? Well, they ask me, you know, what, what's your evidence, Dr. Boyce? Why are you talking crazy? You're just being mean. Well, um, studies show, and this is actually featured in this NBC article. Did you guys know, let me know if you knew this. Did you know that the wealth gap between white and black Americans has pretty much not changed in the last 40 years? Did y'all know that? Right. We have the civil rights movement. Remember, Dr. King, we shall overcome and social integration and all that conversation. If that movement was so powerful, why hasn't the wealth gap closed? I'm, I'm saying that slowly for the people in the back, because you know, I talk to intelligent black people, but you got black folks out here that ain't that smart. You got people, white people, out, you know, you got people out here that think that because you stood in the street and screamed Black Lives Matter, that somehow that's going to make a difference. Right. Or you stood up and said, hands up, don't shoot. That's going to make a difference. So I'm saying this slowly because the proof is in the potato salad. If, if this movement were effective, then the wealth gap would have closed. Then you would see white black people's wealth going up and, and get catching up to white folks. Right. I mean, and, you know, and I say I have to say it slow because for some reason, common sense um, doesn't really apply. People think that because they did something that made them feel emotionally good, that that's the same as making progress. And no, that's just talk. Talk is cheap. Talk is not money. That's why they give you talk and they won't give you any cash. That's why politicians will talk all day about social integration. They will talk all day about getting white people to be nicer to you. They will talk all day about telling you that black lives matter, but they will not talk about the money. And so the question you must ask is, why aren't you talking about the money? So everybody say the money. Everybody type the money in the chat or type talk about the money in the chat. Talk about the money. I have a PhD in finance, so I'm about I'm about red fin to talk about the money. We about to talk about the money. So everybody say it in the chat. Talk about the money, right? So when they come to you and they start talking about this social integration and we want little white boys and little white girls holding hands, I want you to tie, say talk about the money. Like, oh no, well we want you to if you, we want every child to know that they have the right to be gay if they want. They can change their gender. Yeah, I want you to say that's nice, but but talk about the money. But well, we, we want we want every immigrant from every surrounding country and planet to be able to come to the U.S. and just say thank you. That's nice, but talk about the money. Well, well, uh, well, we want we want to make sure that uh, that we've changed the voter ID laws so that so that you can make sure you can vote for the Democrats so we you can keep the Democratic Party in power. I want you to say say um 
that that's nice. But but talk about the money. So, so that, and that's what I want you to do. I want you to get used to that because that's what sometimes you have to do to let people know you're serious. Sometimes you have to get to the point where you become a one-dimensional son of a bitch, where you literally are like, yeah, I hear everything you're saying, but talk about the money. Well, we, we, we just want you to know how much that we think Black Lives Matter. That's great. That's awesome, bro. But can you talk about the money, right? Because if you don't do that, then they're going to use every stupid pet trick that they can come up with to distract you, sleight of hand. You know, like abracadabra, then your money disappears and you don't know what happened because they got you looking over here with every all the action. You should have been just focused over there. So so that's what I want you to get in the habit of saying when they start talking about all these other little agendas and programs and and initiatives and get out the vote challenges and voter ID laws and all that. I want you to say that's so great. That's wonderful. Thank you. But let's talk about the money. Because if you do that, then they'll understand that you're serious, right? It's just like in Goodfellas when the guy kept saying, F you pay me, F you pay me. Well, blah, 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 blah. No, F you pay me, F you pay me, right? You have to have that determination to get them to hear you because they're not hearing you when you're saying, talk about the money, okay? So do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe button, please do that. And let's read some of this article. And I've really, this is more of a of an involved conversation on reparations. And I wanted to do this because- um, you know, I, I'm not a guy that, that white people would, would want to have on TV. I'm not a guy. I used to be back when they thought I would play the game, but I, I don't play the game anymore. I, I'm tired of that. I, I need actual results. I'm into solutions. Uh, my friend Maj Terrain, he calls it a solutionary. I'm a solutionary, right? So I, I want solutions. Um, also, I'm not a guy that they're going to invite into the big white university so I can sit and say a bunch of things that are going to make people feel good because I'm, I'm a solution based person. I'm a mathematician by training, which means that in mathematics, you can't pretend to solve a problem. You can't wave your hands and do a, a happy dance and have them think you solve the problem. You can't do a rope of dope and take them out and, and make them think you solve the problem. You really have to sit there and do it on the chalkboard and solve the problem. So I'm here to solve the problem. I'm here to connect the dots on why um, we've made very little economic progress in the last 40, 50 years and why the reparations conversation is dangerously, dangerously at risk of becoming a conversation that has nothing to do with foundational Black Americans that it was designed to support. Okay, so I'm going to read this article. Hit the thumbs up button. Please hit that thumbs up button. Very important. Um, So... Here on NBC, there's an article that says what slavery reparations from the federal government could look like. It says black Americans have been fighting for reparations tied to slavery for generations. Here's what that fight looks like in 2021. Now, do me a favor, guys. I am uh, as I'm getting ready for my wedding on the 21st. I am traveling, so I do not have my microphone. I'm using my laptop mic. Can you hear me? Give me a yes in the chat. Please give me a yes to confirm that you can hear me okay. Because I, I, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit self-conscious right now about the sound. And I hope that you guys can hear me okay. All right. So so here's what it says uh, in this article. It's on NBCnews.com. And it says, after decades of work from activists pushing the issue, presidential candidates, Congress members, local governments, and private institutions have debated whether and how the federal government should issue reparations to black Americans who are descendants of slaves. As the Biden administration promises to confront structural racism and inequality, a growing number of Democratic lawmakers have given their support to H.R. 40, a decades old bill first introduced by Representative John Conyers, Democrat Michigan in 1989, 
The bill would create a commission to study slavery and discrimination in the United States and potential reparations proposals for restitution. In April, uh, H.R. 40 moved out of committee for the first time, potentially setting up a floor vote on the legislation. Now, one thing I want to say here is that H.R. 40 is a bill that we should support. Right. It's very important to study reparations. But here's the interesting thing about that. Uh, A study is just a study. Right. A study is uh, it's a delay tactic. Uh, Politicians use it all the time. Uh, They basically will say, well, let us think about it. It's like if somebody owes you money and you say, "Um, I have receipts that show that you owe me fifty thousand dollars. I need you to pay me. And they say, "Okay, well, let me go study this invoice for about five years and then maybe I'll pay you. Let me go study whether or not I owe you money. Right. And that's nice. But you kind of want to say to them, um, Okay, can you do that quickly? Can you study? How about how about we take five minutes, and and uh, and 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 then after you finish studying for five minutes, we can. We're not going to do five years or five months. Five minutes because I've already done the study. I got the receipts right here. Right? Um, there's a book called Black Labor, White Wealth. Black Labor, White Wealth. Anybody who's serious in the reparations discussion on Capitol Hill who hasn't read these books by Dr. Claude Anderson is a person who's probably not that serious about this conversation. Because in this book, Dr. Claude Anderson details in very specific terms exactly why Black people are owed reparations. He lays out in very clear terms exactly how white supremacy was laid out, specific specific laws with dates that where the laws were passed, uh, to oppress black people or to control the black labor supply. Uh, he talks about, for example, in 1804, when they had the Ohio anti-mobility law that enacted black laws that restricted the movements of blacks. He talks about the 19, or sorry, 1667 British Plantation Act, which established codes of conduct for slaves and slaveholders, specific structural systems that created the foundation of systematic racism. He talks about um, the uh, 1664 Maryland marriage law, which enacted the first anti-racial marriage statute. He talks about uh, the Maryland, the 1827 Maryland Occupation Act, which prohibited blacks from driving or owning cars, sorry, hacks, carts, or drays. He talks about the uh, 1831, I don't know what a hack or a dray is. Y'all, I got to be educated on that. Um, The 1831 Indiana Mobility Law required blacks to register in order to work and post bond. Um, He talks about the 1717 South Carolina anti-marriage or anti-interracial marriage law. He talks about the uh, 1740 South Carolina Consolidated Slave Act, which forbade slaves from raising or owning farm animals. The 1775 Virginia Runaway Law, which allowed sale or execution of slaves attempting to flee. So he specifically lays out very detailed documentation of what happened over the last 400 years. There, there ain't no reason to sit around and do a study to know that you owe us money. There's no per- person, no intelligent person with an IQ over maybe 30 who can see all this evidence, which could be consumed in you know a, a few days, and, and not conclude that Black people are not owed trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars because white supremacy at its very structure and foundation was built to be a system of, of, of codes and nexus of relationships which allowed whites to oppress black people 
in a consistent way to allow them to extract the wealth out of your community the same way you extract blood out of a pig. Right. The same way you extract, you know, a, a tissue from a fetus. And when they do the, the, the when they, they talk about the the, uh, the little government shots they want to give you. Right. Or the same way you might extract milk from a cow. They were milking the black community by creating a system, a systematic white supremacy, systematic racism that allowed them to economically exploit the black community the same way you exploit a farm animal. Or do you get what I'm saying? Give me a yes or no, if you understand what I'm saying, so we can move on with the conversation. All right. Now, the allblackagenda.com, by the way, is a page you can go to if you're interested in a black agenda designed for you to make progress. It is something we created with teams of scholars that care about the black community. It's not government based. It's not corporate based. It's not based on a bunch of Negroes that got put on TV. This came from the black community from real problem solvers. So if you want to go take a look, it's the things like the $5 day investing plan that we've, we talk about on this platform a lot, where I, again, as a finance PhD, I can explain to you how investing small amounts of money over a consistent basis over a long period of time can create massive family wealth that will probably exceed any amount of money that's going to be written in a reparations bill. But let's keep going. That doesn't mean we're against reparations. We're very pro reparations here. But I don't want you waiting on a government check, just like I don't want you waiting on a government shot. And instead of waiting on the government shot, I don't judge you whether you get it or not. I would rather you take care of your health. I would rather you learn the leading causes of death of black people and how to prevent those. I would rather you learn how to have a healthy immune system so the viruses can't attack you as easily. I would rather you learn how to deal with the epidemics of mass murder that are occurring in the black community from unhealthy food and diabetes and strokes and heart disease and cancers that are preventable, right? So I'd rather you learn the whole picture and not just, okay, just screw, you know, screw everything up and wait for a government shot. Same thing financially. I want your financial body to be so healthy that you're not screwing everything over, screwing yourself over and waiting on a government check. Okay. I want you to take the check. If the check comes in, I want you to take it, but I don't want you to need it. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. So with that being said, um, here's what else the article says. It says, meanwhile, the ongoing reckoning with racial injustice and the health disparities exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic have further called have called further attention to the ways black people have faced generations of systematic discrimination. But with an, an issue so large and complex, proponents suggest a range of ways the U.S. could engage in reparations, while opponents say the time for redress for slavery and the discrimination and uh, that that followed has passed. Let's see here. So calls for reparations for enslaved men and women and later their descendants have been made in various forms since the end of the Civil War. But these demands have never been met by the federal government. In 1865, Union Major General William T. Sherman ordered, pay attention now, listen, that land confiscated from the Confederate landowners be divided up into 40 acre portions and distributed to newly emancipated black families. Following President Abraham Lincoln's assassination, however, the order granting 40 acres and a mule was swiftly rescinded by new president, Andrew Johnson. The majority of the land was returned to white landowners. So they, so Sherman, General Sherman, uh, you know, God bless me, sounds like, he sounds like, you talk about allies, right? I, I don't really believe in this idea that you, you got these allies that you think you have. But to me, you know, hey, if he's chopping up land in 40 acre plots and giving it to black folks, then you my ally. If you're helping me and my family eat, then you're a real ally. You, you you tell me that you like me. You tell me Black Lives Matter. You're not really my ally. I you know you you just you just pimping me a little bit. But if you actually showing up with and you were cutting checks and you're really actually supporting me in my effort to be independent, then I will call you an ally. So General Sherman, I would say it sounds to me like as far as good white folks go, so to speak, he's an ally, right? So uh, so shout out to Sherman for this. 
He wanted to chop up all the land from the Confederate slave owners. And he wanted to give that land out to black people in 40 acre plots. Don't worry, Terrence Williams, you're not too late, man. You're right here, brother. I see you. Um, and, and so he wanted to pass this out and give everybody 40 acres and a mule. So that means that you have land. 40 acres of land is a lot of land. Right? Imagine right now. Uh, how much do you think 40 acres of land would be worth? Um, I don't know. Let's 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 see. Let's see if I can Google that. Let me see. Um, let's see. So how much would 40 acres of land cost? Oh, wow. So it's auto completed. And let's pick Texas. Hit the thumbs up button. Please hit the thumbs up button if you haven't done it yet. OK, so uh, let's see. 40 acre plot. Uh, how about this? How about we start with um, how much of it is an acre of land in Texas? So an acre of land in Texas is about $3,000, right? So let's make the math easy. So uh, somebody do the math for me. So if an acre of land is worth $3,000 in the state of Texas, how much is 40 acres of land worth approximately right now? So let's see. So you take uh, the 40, four zero, so four times 3,000, that's 12,000, add a zero, that's $120,000. So that right there is $120,000 worth of land that, Black people, you know, were given or, you know, or should have, but did not receive. Right. So we can add that to the tab uh, in terms of the money that we're owed because they owe us a bunch of land. Land is a valuable asset. Uh, if you don't own land, uh, you have to own something. Land is one of the realest things that you can own. And that's why maybe that's why they call it real estate. Uh, and, but, but I would just say that a reparations plan, one good one could start with land ownership access to land ownership. And, and this is actually going back to in terms of what you want to look for in a reparations plan. Uh, I think that some sort of plan that gives millions of black people the ability and the opportunity to uh, to own at least 40 acres of land uh, through some sort of process, either giving them the land outright or allowing them to at least get a an interest free loan to buy the land uh, would be a great start. Uh, the thing about black people that they don't realize is that we're actually pretty nice people. We're, 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 you know, we'll let you off the hook pretty easily if you just kind of do the right thing. Like, and, and some black folks go overboard. Like, they'll just forgive anything. You know, Joe Biden will put a hundred black, hundred thousand black men in prison. They still call him Uncle Joe. Like, that's the crazy thing. But they forgave your damn relative. You got a cousin that that, that took five dollars from you in 1970, 1985, and you ain't talked to him in thirty years. But yeah, you'll forgive Uncle Joe for locking up a hundred thousand black men. And so, so when you're talking about this uh, reparations conversation, it ain't got to be complicated. It ain't got to be complicated. You start with land. That's massive. That's huge. And I'm going to talk more about that in a second. But I was wanted to drill into that. So it says also in this article, I'm reading this article from NBC called What Slavery Reparations from the Federal Government Could Look Like. So they said that Sherman wanted to give black people 40 acres and a mule. Uh, after the Civil War, formerly enslaved men and women also argued that their unpaid labor while in bondage entitled them to pensions. So they tried to get pensions. Their demands received resistance from the federal government, which accused prominent pension supporters of fraud and ignored pension bills uh, brought up in Congress. So they did kind of what uh, current lawmakers do. They just ignored them. They ignored them the same way they ignore you. Um, and it's OK. Like if they want to ignore you, that's fine. But uh, I'm thinking maybe that means you can also ignore them, right? So my argument would be that if you ignore me, now pay attention now, if you ignore me when I talk about what matters to me, then I'm going to ignore you when you talk about what matters to you. 
So like, so if you come to me and you say, hey, boys, we got to get out and rock the vote. We got to make sure we get the Democrats in office. I'm going to be like, well, you adored me. So I'm going to ignore you. I didn't even hear that. Right. Or if you say, hey, boys, hey, we, we need you, you know, black people to come out and buy this product. We need your money. Well, you ignore me. So I'm going to ignore you. Right. So you ignore the corporations, you ignore the government officials, you ignore all the people, the people who don't pay attention to the issues that matter to you should not get your attention at all. They should get nothing from you. Absolutely nothing. You should give them the cold shoulder, give them the silent treatment. You should deal with them the way uh, the way you might, <laughs> you know, the way maybe a, 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 a mother might deal with her husband when he ain't acting right. You ain't getting none today. <laughs> you you ain't getting none of this from me, right? Or maybe a husband might do the same thing, right? I, so my point is is on this is to say that uh, this idea that they can ask for the world from you, but you can't even ask for the basics from them, is a is an asymmetric, imbalanced relationship in the first place. That is a problem. That's an abusive relationship. That's not fair to you. Okay, so 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 let's keep going. It says. Um, as the federal government denied land and resources to formerly enslaved people, it created new pathways for land ownership for white Americans. So while they were taking land away from you, they were giving land away to them. They said the Homestead Act in 1862 granted 160 acre plots to applicants. So black people were promised 40 acres and a mule. They didn't get that. White people were promised 160 acres if they applied for the Homestead Act. They gave that to them. Um, that can be traced. You can go back and you can find out who were, who was denied the 40 acre plots and who was given the 160 acre plots. And you can go back and you can say, well, some of that land shouldn't have been yours. I know this land, that land has been in your family for 150 years or that corporation bought it and the corporation uses this land to make money. But this land was gotten, you know, and, and, and it was ill. It was an ill gotten gain by somebody who did something that we now define to be unethical and illegal. So we're going to go back and we're going to make things right. Um, moving on. It says, quote, black families received no assets from the federal government, while large numbers of white families received substantial assets as a starting point for building wealth in the United States. According to uh, William Darity, a professor of public policy at Duke University. Uh, and so it also says um, Darity added that calls for reparations are a, quote, specific claim that is connected to the failure to provide ancestors of today's living descendants who were deprived of the 40 acre land grants that they were promised. Yes, I like Sandy Darity. I agree with that statement. After the war and during the Reconstruction era, black Southerners made political, social and economic progress. But these gains were quick, quickly overturned. Discrimination was further entrenched through laws regulating every facet of black life, including including housing restrictions, legal segregation and racially motivated terrorism and lynchings. So uh, a lot of times and this is one of the failings of the civil rights movement. When you start getting to the point where you're leaning on government policy and laws and bills to kind of provide the semblance of freedom for black people, you got to be careful and understand that these laws can be changed. These bills can be overruled. They can replace a law with something else. Right. Or they can decide which laws they're going to enforce and not enforce. So when they're getting really caught up in legislation, not that legislation doesn't matter. There's a role for the government. That's absolutely. But when you get caught up in people saying we're going to get social justice for black people or we're going to get, you know, this other type of justice by, you know, changing this law. or We're going to create this anti-discrimination law or we're going to create this anti you know policing bill or whatever. Those things are fine. I'm not against that. But I want you to go back to the basic point we talked about earlier. Um, you say that's nice, but let's talk about the money. So let's type in the chat. Talk about the money. 
You go back, you say, let's talk about that. Thank you for passing the anti the police reform bill. That's great to get these cops off our back. But let's talk about the money. Uh, thank you for telling us, you know, that boys and girls can use the same bathroom or whatever pronouns, chan- transgender conversations they want to have. That's fine. But thank you. But let's talk about the money. Right. I think that's important because you got to keep it focused. And, and if because if you look around and you look at the conversations that are coming out of the Biden camp, um, and it's really interesting. It's very sad. Almost. I almost feel sorry for all the black people that were caping for Biden and, and, and the Democrats during the last election, because if you notice most of them are kind of backpedaling. If you notice, even Simone Sanders, remember Simone Sanders? She was the big hefty lady who tackled uh, somebody. Anybody, give me a yes or no if you know. Remember Simone Sanders? She was this big old lady who, um, who like tackled somebody who was uh, trying to, um, uh, who was trying to come after Biden. Let me see. I'm gonna see if I can find the tackle. It's really great. It's it's, it's an awesome awesome image of this lady. I, I swear the, the Cowboys really need her for their defensive line because she could actually probably take down some some dudes. Um, but yeah, I'm going to show you this picture because Simone, Simone is hilarious. And, uh, and so anyway, um, Simone Sanders, who was, you know, like willing to tackle people for Joe Biden. Like, there she is. There's the image. You can kind of maybe kind of see it. She's the big one. Um, she's tackling the lady or the guy or whatever. And uh, here's a, here's another view of it. Uh, let me see if I can find more of the Simone Sanders tackle. It was it was really good. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so there she is. Here's another picture of her. Um, you know, yeah. Oh, so, so anyway, um, so back up, fellas. She's taken. So I know, I know you guys are licking, licking your chops, trying to get, get, get at her and, and slide in her DM. But she's, she's taken. Um, but the point is to say, I know I'm being, I'm being a jerk right now. But I, I'm sorry, I can't help it. It's just funny to me. And so, so Simone Sanders, uh, you know, uh, uh, what was it, Amanda Seal, and a bunch of other people who really told black people to vote for nothing, who really pushed black people to, um, you know, to basically throw away our whole agenda just so we could support the Democrats in their quest for power and, and to use ourselves, to lay ourselves out there to be pimp. Now they're all backpedaling and saying, dang, like, like we really, you know, we, we, we're really mad now because now Biden won't meet with us. Black Lives Matter. Uh, they, they complain that Biden hasn't met with them at all. And, and it's not a surprise. Like those of us who understand how to negotiate, um, are not surprised by this at all. Those of us who understand logic, um, who understand that politics and economics is war, understand that. Those who understand, you know, what leverage means, what power means, um, you know, we, 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 we expected that. Like, why would he talk to you now? He wouldn't even talk to you when he needed you. What makes you think he's going to talk to you when he doesn't need you? That, that just makes no sense. And that really just says, okay, it's fine. You know, there are some people who are a little slow, there are some people who are emotionally broken to the point where they're looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, there are some people who are just going to stay stuck on stupid in terms of how they negotiate. Um, but those people should not be the ones leading the community. Right now. Now, but that goes to the further to, into this deeper point. These are not people that you selected. You did not select these people to lead the community. Um, the people that selected these individuals or the people who don't want you to have any power at all. So I, I think it takes time. It's important for us to take the time to make sure we're selecting our leaders based on people that are putting black people first. That's why when we come to this platform, first thing I say is, are you B1? B1. Put, do you put black people first? Is that, the, is that your top priority? Because then what that does is that allows us to, to create a, a higher dimensional vibration that we can operate on that allows us to leave behind 
the lower level issues, right? We can now get to, to the point of playing power nomics because we're not playing struggle nomics. We, we can now fly like eagles because we're no longer crabs in a barrel. I'm no longer going to have an issue with you because maybe uh, you know one of us is rich and the other one's poor. I'm not going to have an issue with you because one of us went to college and the other one didn't. I'm not going to have an issue because you're a feminist and I'm not. Right? I'm not going to have an issue with you because you're LGBT and I'm not. We're, we're, because we're all black first. So if we're black first, if we're black first, meaning that the well-being and the development of the black community is our number one priority, then all those other things become third, second and third level, third tier. Right. You know, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Psychologists know what this is. Maslow's hierarchy of needs basically says that you can't operate at the highest frequency in your life. You can't reach self-actualization until you've dealt with those lower level issues. So so I want us to kind of get to this point where we kind of say, OK, we hear all this other stuff, these these other lower level issues. We hear about the immigration debate. We ain't going to have that debate today. We hear about the the, the debate about transgender. We, we're not going to have that debate. We hear about the debate about other, you know, environmentalism and all this other. We're not going to have that debate. We're going to have we're going to get back to this key idea. Let's talk about the money, because what Poweronomics and, and Dr. Claude Anderson and a lot of other experts have explained to you is that when you control the economics, you can control everything. The economics is the one thing that changes everything. When you got the money, you make the rules. You know, they, there's an old saying that says, he who has the gold makes the rules. You don't make any rules because they've got the gold. So if you get the gold, then you can make the rules. And what are the rules in our society? Well, that's the politics. That's the bills and the, you know, the, the police reform and all, they, all these are the rules, right? So, so he who has the gold, makes the rules. So everybody, let's do our another word for today, gold. Everybody type gold in the chat. We want the gold. We want, we don't want the civil rights. We want the silver rights, right? So type the gold, type gold into the, into the chat to know, let me know what you're talking about, to let me know that you know what I'm talking about. Hit the thumbs up button, by the way. Please hit the thumbs up, share, subscribe button. Let's keep going. So it says in the 1930s and 40s, black Americans also continue to be denied opportunities to build wealth under federal programs that benefited white families and communities. Under the GI Bill, for example, mortgage, quote, mortgage and school tuition benefits extended to black soldiers were devalued due to state endorsed and enforced segregation. According to law professor Adrian Davis in a pro reparations human rights brief published in 2000, quote, there were far fewer places they could attend school or purchase housing. The schools were able to uh, were able to attend Wait, so the schools they were able to attend and they were able to buy were less or houses they were able to buy were less valuable because they were black institutions and black neighborhoods, respectively, in an economy that valued whiteness. Excluding domestic and farm workers from Social Security legislation effectively shut out 60, 60 percent of black people across the U.S. and 65 percent of southern states who worked in these occupations. Now, here's the thing. When you talk about an economy evaluating whiteness, I'm going to give you a little bit of a tiny economics lesson real quick. That's that's something I want you to process for a minute. You know, you 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 are discriminated against in an economy that value that values whiteness. There's no question about it. We know that white supremacy is real and white privilege and all that stuff. Very, very real. But one of the things you must understand about economies is that multiple economies exist all throughout the world. You don't have to be in that economy. Like if I'm playing a game with you and and it's basketball and you're taller than me and you always block my shots and you score all the points, 
I don't really have to be playing basketball. I don't really have to play on your court. Right. I, we could be playing football. Maybe if I'm stockier and bigger than you, maybe I, suddenly if we're playing football, if we're playing a different game, then suddenly the advantage shifts over to me. But if I don't understand where, where the game comes from, then I can't understand how to best position myself to be able to win. The people that win the game are typically the people who create the game and who control the game because they set the game up so that it leans in favor of whatever advantage they have. So an economy built by white people is naturally going to favor whiteness. An institution that is built by white people is going to favor whiteness. Um, a, a media outlet that, that was built by white people, like a, like Viacom, which owns BET, is going to favor whiteness. Why would you build something? Why would you build anything that doesn't favor you and the people who are like you? Right. That would be kind of stupid. Right. So so the thing is that when you talk about economies, it, there's there's um, there's you can create economies. Right? An economy is nothing more than a network. Right? And that's all it is. Cryptocurrency. Think about this. Trillions of dollars have been created in the crypto markets just due to networking effects. The crypto specialists and the technologists got together and created a currency. They created Bitcoin out of thin air. The government didn't tell them to do it. They didn't get permission from the banks to do it. They didn't get permission from anybody. They created a currency and had enough people that believed in that currency that that currency is now worth trillions and trillions of dollars. What is the total market value of Bitcoin, by the way? Let me let me look this up. Let me see. Let me actually do a little research right quick. All right, so let's see. The value of the market, hit the thumbs up button. Please hit the thumbs up button. We're going deep here, people. Like, I just felt that God told me to do it, so we're about to do it. The market cap of Bitcoin is $926 billion. Is Bitcoin the most valuable currency or cryptocurrency in the world? I think it's it's way up there. It's way up there. I thought it was over a trillion. But anyway, so let's, so it's a trillion dollar economy that was created out of thin air. So the same way that Bitcoin or crypto enthusiasts can create a trillion dollar economy on their own, black people can also create a trillion dollar economy of their own. The same way that um, that technology, technological capability is valued in the crypto space well, you can be in a space where blackness is valued in the black space, right? So, so this idea that somehow you are just, um, you know, unconditionally and undeniably discriminated against at all times and, un, and, and always oppressed no matter where you go in the universe is false. You are not oppressed everywhere. Because it's raining in your neighborhood, that does not mean it's raining all across the United States. You just ain't never left your motherfucking block. Okay, that's what it is. You just didn't. You haven't left your block. So you think it's raining everywhere because it's raining on your block. But it doesn't rain everywhere. So so this economy that we live in that favors whiteness, um, that's not the same. For example, if I were to go to China, there's a whole Chinese economy that favors being yellow. Right. If you go to Africa, there's a whole African economy that favors blackness. Right. Except for the fact that you got the colonialism in there. Right. So which is a whole nother conversation. But but the, the point is that, you you know, when you understand economics, you understand that this this the way you view oppression, the way you're taught to view it as if no matter where you go, no matter what you do, the white man's going to be standing over you with a baseball bat ready to beat you down every time you try to build anything. That's just simply not true. That is simply not true. 
Uh, do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe button. There's my Twitter. Uh, please follow me on Twitter. Um, I need more smart black people following me. I'm tired of stupid people. So uh, we're, we're over 100,000 on Twitter. I'd like to have a billion. So we're we're almost there. We're only uh, 999 million away. So let's keep going. All right. So, uh, so I'm reading this article on NBC News about reparations. And it also says excluding domestic and farm workers from Social Security legislation effectively shut out 60 percent of black people across the U.S., Blah, blah, blah. According to Brookings Institute, experts argue that such omissions from federal policy have not been fully corrected and have been magnified by widening health, education, employment and housing disparities, as well as a basic lack of access to capital. Collectively, these historical and current disadvantages have led reparations proponents to argue that while slavery is where denials of wealth and equal rights began, the cumulative effects of both slavery and systematic federal denials of opportunity that follow continue to impact the descendants of enslaved people in the present, for sure. Experts disagree on what reparations should look like. Um, And that's where I want to kind of throw my two cents in. Um, I'm not a guy that's going to be invited to be to give congressional testimony, nor would I want to be. Right. So if you're thinking about inviting me to do testimony on Capitol Hill, just don't don't call me, please. I ain't got time. I want to talk to black people. I don't want to talk to stupid people, uh, you know, on Capitol Hill. I don't like politicians. I'd rather consult with someone and let them go do it. I got better things to do, like raising my children. Uh, but but, but still, uh, let me throw in my two cents for those of you that are interested in this debate, that would like to understand um, a way to view reparations and how that might make sense and how that might achieve the goal. So, uh, so what I'll start with is um, they tend to measure quality of life in three key areas of health, wealth, and relationships. Those are three key areas that tend to shape the majority of your quality of life. So for example, if I see a friend I haven't talked to in a year and I say, hey man, how you doing? If he had a major surgery or if he's dying or something, he'll say, yeah, man, I'm not doing well, but I got a surgery and I think I'm doing better, right? That's health, right? And then if he got a new job, you know, somewhere making more money, he'll say, yeah, man, I got a new job at the factory and I moved to Maryland because it's a great opportunity, but right? So that's wealth, right? And if he just met a new woman that he's dating or he's about to get married he'll be like yeah man we're about to get married and I, I met a girl that i really like and i'll be like oh congratulations man that's great so that's relationships right so health wealth and relationships tend to determine your quality of life right if your health is bad and your money ain't right and your, your girl's getting on your nerves then you you're gonna have a pretty low quality life right so 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 i i would argue i would argue this that one simple framework in order to kind of think about how we might process reparations might be to start with health, wealth, and relationships. If we want Black people to be doing better, if we want to solve uh, problems in terms of making people's lives better, we can start with those three key areas. So let's start with health. Well, with health, you have, uh, at the very least, you have mental and physical health. Those are a couple major health areas, right? So a lot of Black folks suffer that post-traumatic slave disorder. We have a lot of psychological damage that's come from things like mass incarceration back when Joe Biden and Bill Clinton conspired to lock up over 100,000 Black men back in the 1990s. Uh, We have a lot of... um, you know, a lot of mental health problems, right? Little children growing up, you know, going through all kinds of hell because daddy went, daddy ain't in the house or the neighborhood's got, you know, gunfire and they got PTSD and all that, right? So that means like mentally, right? We need um, therapy. We, we need armies of therapists that are being compensated on a very high level to help do, uh, to help repair some of that damage that's been done from all the trauma that so many black people have experienced. Give me a yes or no if you feel as a black person that you've been traumatized. Give me a yes or no. I want to see how many of you in this room 
will we'll go ahead and confess out loud that you are a victim of trauma, PTSD. Maybe you grew up with really uncomfortable poverty. Maybe you saw somebody get killed when you were young. Uh, I raised both hands because um, my biological father was was never there. He, he wasn't around when, when I was a baby. Uh, he went to prison for drugs. Uh, my stepfather who raised me uh, went to Vietnam. He was a very mean man. I, I struggled with abuse for, because of that, but he was a wonderful guy. I loved him to death, but he wasn't perfect, and he'll admit that. Um, you know, just in terms, you know, saw my best friend get shot in the head in front of his daughter when I was 25 years old. Still love her, still talk to her. I uh, talked to her the other day because I look out for her because that's what my friend would want. His name was Greg Wilkins, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, 1996. He didn't live too far away from where Breonna Taylor was killed. So a lot of us have this trauma, the, the, these, these things that we just saw. This, this shit you saw when you were a kid where you're like, damn, it, it kind of sucks being black. Like, like you really in your mind associate blackness with pain. Like you just think, God, being black just means, you know, like, like literally it's almost like a rite of passage where when you grow up and you're black, we just almost get to the point where we compare like horror stories that we experience growing up black or in not having enough money, you know, just seeing stuff we, sh- we shouldn't have seen when we were kids all that, right? So that's where the mental health aspect comes into play. I encourage all of you uh, who are able to do it, which you should be, um, you know, get some mental health. Like that therapy is necessary because that therapy is part of the reason why you have trouble staying married when you get married. It's the therapy, lack of therapy is part of the reason why you have trouble starting businesses with each other and not getting triggered and wanting to kick each other's ass, right? So all this, so the therapists need to be employed. We need to start elevating the therapists. We need to start really supporting these people that are, some of them are online. Some of them are giving free advice on Instagram and nobody's paying attention because everybody's rushing to, you know, follow the girl who's got the big booty, but you got to also follow the woman who's got the big brain. The booties are beautiful, booties, booties are great, but big brains are even better. So, so let's start giving love to these people and being very conscious about that so that we can make sure that they, we, that they know how appreciated they are and we make them part of the reparations plan. Next, you talk about health. Well, one thing I think about with health is this. I, I hear white people talk all the time about health care disparities. We have to fix health care disparities for black people, and that's important. I don't disagree with you. That's sure. Okay. Um, you're right. You, you know, yeah, y'all, y'all don't do what's right in your, in your hospitals. But here's the thing, right? Um, you got to be real cautious about a reparations plan where white people are simply paying other white people to do things for black people, Right. Like, like if you talk about fixing healthcare disparities, I don't really want you to tell me how you're paying more white doctors to get certain drugs to give to me, right? I'd rather you tell me how you created a, you know, $500 billion fund that black doctors can go and tap into to build hospitals in black neighborhoods for black people that are run by black people. How many of you, give me, raise your hand if you know of a Jewish hospital in your city. How many of you have a Jewish, can think of a Jewish, in Louisville, we have a Jew, we have Jewish hospital uh, where, where I grew up. How many of you have ever seen a hospital that's called Jewish hospital? Right? Give me a yes or no. And, and so, so if they can have their own hospitals, well, why can't we? we why can't we have hospitals of our own? No, I don't I don't want I don't want like better white people medical care. <laughs> like that that's the trap. That's the trap they get you to fall into is the paternalistic trap. Like we're gonna help you escape white supremacy by using white supremacy to help you solve the white supremacy problem. So we're going to escort you out of the building of white supremacy, but we're gonna control 
which direction you walk in. No, 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 no. That, that's not that's not how you get freedom. You don't get freedom by just signing up for a better type of slavery. And you, you, you know, so 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 like education. Go back to education. Like, no, like better education for black people does not mean paying white people more money to educate black people. That's not better education. That's more white education. That's more bad education. That's doubling down on the intellectual poison. No, the way you give black people liberated education is you have a no strings attached resources that black educators can tap into to build their own damn schools. Seriously. How many of you know a black teacher or black educators who love the hell out of black children who would love to get together with other black educators and open up a school tomorrow? How many black educators do you know? How many of y'all know black educators somewhere that you can think of who could get together with some other black educators if there was a, you know, $20 million available tomorrow for them to borrow against or to even or to receive as a grant or whatever? Again, no strings attached, you know, who can build have a school built in a year. Right. Seriously. There's so many black educators out here. And so part of truly repairing and and truly acknowledging black people, truly respecting the black community means doing something that is actually unthinkable in the white supremacist tradition, which is acknowledging black people's ability to do for self. See, if you can acknowledge the fact that I have the right and the same freedom that you have to to, to do what I want to do then that means you're not really my friend. You're not really helping me to, you know, to get to get to a better life or you're not really repairing anything. You're pretending to prepare. Right. It's like um, like that documentary I told you guys about called Poverty Inc., where they actually explain how all these charitable organizations designed to address African poverty actually keep those countries in poverty. They need them to stay in poverty because what they'll do is they'll collect a bunch of money. They'll market. They'll use the trauma of the poverty to market it, just like they market George Floyd's death, just like they market Trayvon Martin and and and, and marketed uh, Tamir Rice's death. They will market the, the black trauma and collect a bunch of donations from people who are paying them money, white people paying other white people to go solve a black problem because clearly they, they, they believe black people are not capable of solving the problem themselves. Where, where really, if you really want to solve that problem and you really want to help those people, then you will give them the resources and also give them access to the training they might need in order to do this on their own. The Chinese are very good at this, actually, in African countries. If you go to African countries, the Chinese are everywhere because the Chinese are just industrious like that. Don't get mad at them for it. They, they're, they're hustlers. They're, they're, that's just what they do. God bless them for that. But they'll go. what they do is when they go to an African country and they really they, they want to sort of claim to elevate the country, but they really want to maintain control, what they'll do is they'll say, we want to build a railroad for you because we really feel like you need a railroad. And they'll be like, yeah, we really do need a railroad. And they'll be like, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to come over with our technology and our equipment and our workers. We're going to import our workers from China. You say, well, we got plenty of labor here in, in, in Botswana. No, 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 no. We, we, we have people in Shanghai we're going to bring in. We're going to bring in a whole team and we're going to build you a railroad. Right. And just give us a bunch of land, you know, you give us, you know, like in Jamaica, they, you know, give us a hundred year lease on the land or something like that. And we're going to come in here and we're going to build you a railroad. How about that? Right. And, and then you say, well, can you show us what you're doing? Can we learn how to maybe build it or maintain it ourselves? No, that's proper. That's proprietary. We can't tell you how to build the railroad. We can't tell you how to maintain the railroad. But if you need it maintained, just call us and, and give us give us more money and we'll come fix it for you. Right. That's how you claim to help people without actually giving them the ability, the keys to true freedom. 
Right. So so that's kind of what they do to black people is when you talk about getting more education, you get fooled into looking for white people to educate you better when really you can actually do that yourself. You've got a ton of educators in your community that can educate the hell out of a black child. My best education did not come from a white man. Don't get me wrong. I learned a lot from learning from white people. I mean, don't, I'm not hating on it or anything like that. But when it came to the things I really needed to benefit my community, I needed to hear from people that were B1. Uh, when I met Dr. Claude Anderson, my reaction was just like many of yours. I'm, I, we, the first time we talked was 2006. And I read his book, Poweronomics, a few years later, and it just changed my whole view. I said, oh, this is great. Actually, Black Labor, White Wealth was the first book I read. And, and that, to me, was the first time in my life that I got a real Black education in terms of understanding exactly what I needed to do as a Black man to benefit my community. Uh, when I went to white universities, like I went to University of Kentucky for undergrad, I got my PhD at Ohio State University. It wasn't that the education was bad. It was that the education was designed to achieve a specific goal. A white university is not designed to teach you how to build an independent, strong black community. A white university is designed to teach you how to go work for white companies to build a better white community. Right. And, and so so effectively, that's why you see so many black people that go to white universities that end up working for white people, because that's what you're trained to do. You're not told to go back to the hood. You're told to get out of the hood. You're not told to go back to be around black people. You're told to get away from that. Right. You take pride in being away from that. You get you take pride in being the first black this and the first black that, because that's what you're told you're led to believe. You're led to actually address the alleged premium on whiteness that comes from this white economy by putting a premium on whiteness. Like, think about this. Right. So you're confronting the premium that in this article, they mentioned that there was a premium on whiteness in this economy. And but yet you're contributing directly to that premium by connecting yourself more deeply to whiteness. You're you're adding to the networking effects. It's the same way with like cryptocurrency. One of the reasons Dogecoin went up in value is because more people were trying to buy Dogecoin. Right. There's more demand to be into the in that ecosystem, which pushes up the price when the, when more people demand to be in the Ethereum ecosystem that pushed up the price. So when more people demand to be part of the white supremacist economic system, that pushes up the price that pushes up the value. So you claim to be fighting white supremacy by actually contributing to it. That is not going to work. <laughs> like that is not going to that does not compute. Two plus two is not going to equal four. In that particular context, right? So, you know, so, so, um, I would just say to you that you have to think deeply about this because white supremacy is a complex system. So, to solve that problem, you got to be complex too. You got to be able to think on a higher level. And I don't believe that that problem is going to be solved. I don't believe the true reparations problem is going to be solved because I don't think people are really seeing it at the level they need to see it. I, that's just my two cents. Do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe button. And one of y'all mentioned something about me doing something on Clubhouse. I think I will at some point. Um, if you want to follow me on Clubhouse, there's my Clubhouse. Just look up um, Dr. Boyce Watkins. I'm also on Twitch, by the way. And uh, that's where I actually do games. I play video games with the brothers to kind of, and we talk about stocks and stuff while we play. And sometimes we just talk shit. So it's just, you know, having fun. Um, and uh, so you can follow me on Twitch also. And I do a commentary on Twitch as well. I like to, I like to teach. I like to talk. Hit the thumbs up button. Hit the share button. Hit the subscribe button. So let's keep talking about reparations. Let me keep going down in this article. This is a really interesting article in NBC. And uh, it says proposals for reparations programs have also been raised by reparations advocacy groups in recent decades. The National African-American Reparations Commission has a 10-point reparations plan that includes a call for a national apology for slavery and subsequent discrimination. 
a repatriation program that would allow interested people to receive assistance when exercising their right to return to an African nation of their choice, affordable housing and education programs, and the preservation of black monuments and sacred sites with the proposals benefiting any person of African descent living in the U.S., um, I think that's all good. Don't get me wrong. And I definitely am I'm a big fan of, of, of connecting with Africa. I think that that's a huge amount of um, untapped potential by African-Americans. I, I, I really do. I went to Ghana and I had a wonderful time. But I would also say that, you know, when you're talking about a lot of this stuff, a lot of the symbolism, things like that, symbolism matters. But you have to get to the point where you say, as we said earlier, let's talk about the money. We must talk about the money where, you know, give me some land. Get, give our business owners some uh, uh, access to capital, right? That's really, really important. All these other things matter. Apologies matter for sure. But let's talk about the money. Other proposals like the one proposed by Andre Perry and Rashawn Ray for the Brookings Institute would also specifically provide restitution to descendants with at least one ancestor enslaved in the U.S., coupling direct financial payment with plans for free college tuition, student loan forgiveness, grants for down payments, and housing revitalization, and grants for Black-owned businesses. I like this a lot. I think that's getting closer to the mark. Here's where you got to be careful about free college tuition and free student loan and student loan forgiveness. Let me just say something about student loans. I've been a college professor for over almost 30 years now. I've taught at many, many universities, University of Kentucky, Indiana University, Syracuse University, the Ohio State University. I taught in China. I I know university systems really well. I think college is cool. We're sending our child to college this year. We got all of our our kids going to go to college. So this is not anti-college. But one thing you must understand about student loans where you got to be careful is that student loans are kind of an artificial debt. Um, Student loans are kind of like it's it's like if I said to you, if I said, um, uh, let's say that you really needed an ink pen and, and and you really had to sign an important document. And there was no other pen within a 50 mile radius. And I, and I said, you need this pen? And you say, yeah. And I say, OK, well, I'll give you this pen, but you got to pay me $5,000 for this pen. And you say, well, boys, I don't have $5,000, but I need that pen. And I say, OK, how about this? Um, once I give you the pen, I want you to sign another piece of paper that says that you owe me $5,000. Right. So so you say, OK, OK, fine, 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 whatever, whatever. Right. And you 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 sign the document, you take the pen, you sign the document. So now you owe me five grand. And so then you come along and you say, well, boys, you owe me money for this other unrelated thing. Like you, you borrowed money from me 10 years ago and you never paid it back. I need you to pay me back. So I say, okay, well, how much did I borrow from you? And you say, um, you owe me, you know, $18,000. And I say, okay, well, since you owe me $5,000, we'll just take, I'll, I'll give you loan forgiveness to allow you to not pay me back the 5,000. So now I only owe you $13,000, right? Uh, would that be fair? Would that be fair? Give me a yes or no. Would that be fair? So so I told you, you don't have to pay me back the five thousand dollars you owe me for the ink pen. And we'll just balance, you know, count that against the balance of the eighteen thousand you owe me. How many of you would that be fair or not? What, what would you think? Would, would, would you call BS on that? If you think it's BS, put BS in the chat. Or if you think that's cool, type that's cool in the chat. Because if you, if, you, if you type that's cool, I'm going to have to politely correct you and let you know you just got you might have just got played for a sucker because. The, the reality is that if you look at it at the surface, sure, somebody could say, OK, that sounds pretty cool. Like, wow, he's giving you five thousand dollars. No, I'm not I'm not giving you five thousand dollars because an ink pen should not cost you five thousand dollars in the first place. I overcharged you. I exploited you from the jump. So, no, you can say you should say, no, that debt is invalid because you coerced me into that debt. <laughs> like, like that's not even you, you charge me five thousand dollars for an ink pen. No, ink pens are worth about a dollar fifty, dude. What are you doing? 
right? So, so when they tell you part of your reparations bill, I know they're going to do this. When they run a reparations package, let's say they're going to say it's it's a two trillion dollar deal, and and half a trillion or a whole trillion of that is student loan debt forgiveness. Well, that's inflated BS. That is part of what Dr. Claude Anderson writes about when he talks about the doctrine of of unequal exchange. The doctrine of unequal exchange basically says that it's basically a a safe case where you're getting something of low value and giving away something of high value. So if you give give me $5,000 and I gave you an ink pen, that's a bad trade for you. That will create what is called a trade deficit in economics. That is where that that's like a that's a basketball game where I score 80 points and you got four. Like that's you can't win games like that. You can't like Michael Jackson said in the Wiz, you can't win, you can't break even, and you can't get out of the game. Well, I'm telling you that your resort on in that situation, when you can't win and you can't break even, you better get out of the game. What you do is you get out of the game and say, I'm not going to play that game with you. I'm not even going to play that game with you where you're going to tell me the student loan forgiveness is somehow the same as you giving me money. That is not the same as you giving me money. No, you you are giving me something that is fake because it shouldn't have cost me $250,000 to go to college in the first place. You were jacking me because you had this commodity of limited supply that I felt I needed. In economics, we call that um, an inelastic commodity. Inelastic commodities are like drugs or or things that people really have to have. So, so what happens is you gain power to manipulate the price. You can jack up the price and, and, and make people pay it because they have no other choice. So you made me believe I had to pay this when I know I didn't. I didn't get a chance to hear from people like Voice or whatever. So I thought I had to go to college and borrow a quarter million dollars to go to school. And now I'm sitting here in so much debt that I'm going to die in debt. No, you should remove that. And that should be almost damn near pro bono. That should just be on GP alone because you you own some game in the first place. That's some BS. Right. So so ultimately, student loan forgiveness, while it's certainly an important gesture, student loan debt is is murdering black wealth. Like, by the way, that's one of the reasons why black wealth is going backward, because so many black people felt the need to go to college and college is fine. But spending a quarter million dollars for college is something that you only should do if you're absolutely sure that you're going to make plenty of money. Like you better be making 80, 100 thousand dollars in your first job. And most people aren't. And even when they're making that much, it's still hard to pay off a quarter million dollars in debt because you have a mortgage and no house. And you must also ask yourself, why is it that I'm 18 years old and I can get a, you know, a, a, I can get $200,000 in student loans, but I can't even get a damn $25,000 loan to start a business? Like, that's messed up. That's crazy, right? Well, that's because a student loan really isn't a real loan. It's not real money. They're not giving you money to do whatever you want with no strings attached. They're loaning you money to buy an overpriced product. So it's like going to a store and them saying, well, we're not going to loan you any real money, but we have $18,000 fur coats and we'll give you the coat and allow you to get $18,000 in credit to get an $18,000 fur coat. Well, fur coat shouldn't cost you $18,000. Right. So so that's that's a problem. Right? So, so I think just addressing those basic things like why can I get a two hundred thousand dollars in student loans, but I can't get twenty five thousand dollars for a business loan <clears throat> when starting a business in many cases will have a much greater impact on my economic future than going to college. Not that going to college is bad, but I'm telling you, I know a lot of college graduates. and I know a lot of business owners. And if I compare the incomes of the business owners to the college grads, oh, ain't no comparison. <laughs> ain't no comparison. Okay. So hit the thumbs up button. Please hit the thumbs up, share, subscribe button. And by the way, if anybody wants to support the channel, we do have a Patreon. Uh, you can feel free to become a member at intelligentblackpeople.com. There's the URL. <clears throat> and thank you, Jerome Milton, for your uh, donation. Jerome made a donation and I did not acknowledge it at the time because I was in the flow of things. But I want to say thank you, brother. I see you and I appreciate you very, very much. Thank you for your support. 
So moving on. <clears throat> so um, what they wrote here is that making the American dream an equitable reality demands the same U.S. government that denied wealth to blacks restore that deferred wealth through reparations to their descendants. This was written by uh, the Brookings Institution, uh, Andre Perry and Rashawn Ray. Um, uh, I guess there, there are scholars there. Uh, the variety of proposals show that even some supporters of reparations, there's some disagreement about what a full program should look like. Um, quote, I think we, we, we would be doing ourselves a huge disservice if we were just talking about financial compensation alone, says uh, Dryzen Heath, a racial justice researcher with Human Rights Watch. Uh, and, and there are some local governments that are doing some initiatives and the article is in NBCnews.com if you want to read it. Uh, it's uh, titled... <clears throat> what slavery reparations from the federal government could look like. Now, let me dig in, in, in uh, and, and break down what I think will be an adequate reparations plan. And in order to do this, actually, let me read a little bit from uh, Dr. Claude Anderson's book, uh, Black Labor, White Wealth, which, again, when they talk about wanting to do a reparations study in H.R. 40, that's not necessary because the study has been done. This, this book is a study on reparations. And he breaks down so many detailed pieces of information. It's on Powernomics.com. Powernomics.com is where you can get Dr. Anderson's books. I encourage everybody to go take a look because Dr. Anderson is the real deal. Um, he is today's modern Mar Marcus Garvey, if you will. Um, he's W.E.B. Du Bois. W.E.B. Du Bois mixed with Marcus Garvey, mixed with Booker T. Washington, um, you know, mixed with Frederick Douglass. I mean, he's a great man and I love him and I think we need to give him his flowers while he's here. Uh, don't just wait until the man's gone to start celebrating him. Y'all need to start celebrating Dr. Claude Anderson right now, right up there with Dr. King, right up there with, with Martin Luther King, right up there with the Malcolms, right up there with everybody else. Celebrate that man because this man has given you a gift that there's no school in this country that gives you that. Even your HBCUs don't give you that. HBCUs, let's just keep it 100. They're great institutions, but we know who created HBCUs. Um, HBCUs uh, don't invite Dr. Anderson in to speak. Uh, Howard University has never wanted a Claude Anderson to speak. And the question becomes, what's dangerous about a man who actually gives real concrete instructions and ideas that put the black community first? Uh, what's what's dangerous about that? What's why is that a problem? What makes him worse than all the white people that you've had come speak at Howard? I don't understand that. And I think that they should be challenged on that to kind of say, like, well, what's going on here? You know, and, and why will you brag all day about all the black people you sent to go work for Goldman Sachs? But you don't talk so much about the black people who are actually in the community building. Somebody like Sharif Abdul Malik, who went to Howard, who has built We Buy Black one of the most extraordinary and impactful black economic networks in, in the history of this country. Like this man made black history. He's created millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of transactional commerce that has elevated the conditions of thousands of black families across this world. And you don't mention him at all, but you'll mention a Negro with a job in a second. I want you to think about that. So they need to be challenged on that. Anybody who and I love my HBCU folks, don't get me wrong. HBCUs are great, but you got to You got to You got to make them better. You got to challenge them to go to the next level. So let me read more. Um, One hundred and thirty years after slavery, American society has become more pluralistic and competitive. But blacks marginal conditions remain relatively unchanged. In some respects, they have worsened. The socioeconomic inequalities that existed between whites and blacks during and shortly after slavery are now structural. For example, on the eve of the Civil War, records indicated that more than 50 percent of, of free blacks were paupers, all meaning they were very poor. All free blacks collectively held less than one half of one percent of the nation's wealth, with wealth being defined as a great, great quantity of money or valuable 
goods or resources within both the private and public sectors. A century later in the 1960s, an era considered by many blacks as a quote, great decade of progress for black people, more than 55% of all the blacks in America were still impoverished and below the poverty line. So uh, right after the civil war, half of all black people were dirt poor. A hundred years later, half of all black people were dirt poor. After a decade of tremendous progress for black people, social progress, the 1960s, right? Civil rights movement, all that. Half of all, black, you had just as many poor black people then as you had when we uh, were uh, ending slavery. That's a problem. That, that's because they gave you social integration. Uh, I don't really want to socialize with you. I just, I really don't. Let's talk about the money. I don't really need you to be my friend. I don't need you to tell me Black Lives Matter. I don't need you to tell me that you you think I'm nice and you, you think I'm handsome. Or I, I don't need all that. I don't need I don't need your love. I, I, I want that money. Give me that paper. Period. Let's talk about the money. Type that in the chat. Talk about the money. All right. So here we go. It says and blacks barely held one percent of the nation's wealth. According to the 1990 census, approximately 40 percent of all black families are receiving public assistance. And the number is increasing with more than 56 percent of all black female headed households beneath the poverty level. Black unemployment has not significantly improved in comparative terms over the last century. According to Curry, an historian, black unemployment exceeded 40 percent in the 1850s. The National Urban League's 1992 State of Black America report differed from the U.S. government figures, indicating that the hidden and true unemployment rate is approximately 28 percent for black adults and 55 percent for black youth. Uh, So the discomfort index was still high where they measure um, your quality of life. Let's see, what else does he say? He also talks about how uh, despite the election of tons and tons of black politicians, black people literally did not see um, any progress in our economic condition. Let me show you. This is something I want you to keep in mind when you hear politicians telling you that the best way to improve the black community is for everybody to show up and vote. Um, and uh, and this is important to address because I know Gabrielle Union did a, fun, a little skit where she was kind of making fun of the black conscious community. Uh, you know, for the fact that there are some people who question whether or not voting is giving black people what we really deserve. And I'm not going to debate that one way or the other. I'm just going to sort of provide you some data to kind of help you kind of process this in a, in a more effective way. Um, hit the thumbs up button while I pull this up. I got to open up my Facebook because I want to share my screen and show you guys a little chart. It's in Dr. Claude Anderson's book, Black Labor, White Wealth. I'm going to make sure I give credit where it's due. Dr. Anderson is the one who created this masterpiece. I'm actually working on a book that I'll tell you guys more about later. That uh that I want to well, I want to con- contribute to the literature in this um and I'll explain it more uh, as as time goes on but <clears throat> but this is what Dr Anderson did and um and I just love him for creating this book so let me show you all a little chart um in this book and this is is something I want you to keep in mind when they start telling you that the best way to improve the black community is for everybody to go and rock the vote and you know get your booty to the polls and all this other stuff that they tell you all right so this this chart here what this shows you is um, a comparison of black socioeconomic conditions and the number of black elected officials. So I don't know if you can see the chart, but I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to dictate some of this to you. If you see in 1964, we had 103 black elected officials. That was it. At that time, the unemployment rate was 10.8%. Black incarceration rate, black prison percentage was 33%. Uh, blacks below the poverty line was 34%. Per capita income was about 53000 um, so, or, or I guess on an index, I guess it's, uh, it's weighted, um, or in maybe $1990. Look at 1992, go all the way down to 1992. 
1992, we went from 103 black elected officials to 8,000. So we were voting voting like crazy. Well, this is in the up to the 90s. This doesn't include everything that's happened since then. But we we elected you know 8,000 black elected officials compared to 103. Uh, unemployment, you would expect unemployment to be uh, improved in the community. No, our unemployment rate is actually higher. It went from 10.8% to 14.6%. Black incarceration rate, are, black, are fewer black people going to prison? Are we filling up the prisons less? No, actually, we were filling up the prisons more. We went from 33% of the prison population to 45%. Uh, blacks below the poverty line. Okay, clearly there's got to be fewer black people in poverty because we got all these black elected officials. Everybody's been voting like crazy, right? Well, no, not quite. Uh, 1964, 34% of blacks were below the poverty line. 1992 is 34.4%, so almost equal. And then uh, per capita income, per capita income did increase slightly, uh, not very much, but it did increase a little bit. Uh, There was no change in wealth. There was no change in the wealth gap, or at least no meaningful change. And so effectively, what this says to you, what this shows really clearly is that uh, voting in, is not everything. That's not it. That's not the, the final solution. Uh, I'm not saying that the, uh, I'm going to judge you whether you vote or not. It's, there, it's a controversial topic. And uh, and I think that's fine. I'm a person that believes voting does matter for sure. But voting for you must be voting for something. You must be getting something for your vote. If you're getting nothing for your vote, then I'm not sure if voting really matters other than being a feel good exercise that makes you just say, hey, look, I did it. I can wear a little button. A lot of people wear this little button to say I voted. It's like I'm proud. Like, look at me. I, I voted. So I think that the question is, are you OK with us taking the next step to say, what did you vote for? Right now, if all you can say is, well, I voted because I had to get that son of a bitch out of office. Right. Well, that that means you played into their hands because that's how they get you to stop focusing on the main issue is by distracting you with with something that scares you or upsets you. Right. By me emotionally triggering you, I then am able to control you and get you to go along and do what I say, because I've injected this anger and this fear inside your uh, inside your spirit that will cause you to pretty much take orders from me. Right. Studies show that people who are scared or angry are not thinking logically. So they're going to just follow instructions because they're so nervous about what's going to happen next. Okay. So with that being said, uh, let me finish up here with um, some more in terms of what I think should be included in a reparations plan. I I decided I want to just have this conversation with you because I want to make sure that they do some of this right. You know, and and those of you that are in here sort of watching the debate, I want to give you the tools so that when you're debating on social media, maybe you have, you can lean on all this you can take my ideas. You don't even got to give me credit. I don't care who gets the credit. Seriously, like you could just act like you came up with it on your own and that's fine. You know, talk about this, right? Push the issue a little bit further, right? Uh, get away from allowing them to just talk about social integration and social issues and symbolic issues and say, let's talk about the money, right? What does it mean to talk about the money? Well, uh, remember earlier I said that quality of life is measured typically in three major areas, health, wealth, and relationships. So we talked about health. Health means mental and physical health. So that means like if you're talking about dealing with mental health, post-traumatic slave disorder, uh, all the trauma in the black community, well, that's what all our therapists are there for. We got an army of thousands and thousands of black therapists. I'm, I'm marrying one. And so I know a lot of them who are prepared to, you deploy them and you give them money, that, the money that they need. They don't need a lot. They can then go out and help the community. So create a gigantic fund, half a trillion dollars that we can use, that we as a, as a community can deploy to our therapists to go and help 
the, the community. Uh, next, you've got physical health. Uh, well, that means ownership of black owned hospitals. You got Jewish hospitals all over the country. There should be black hospitals too, right? We deserve to own our own hospitals with our doctors looking out for our community. Next, um, you, you talk about wealth. Well, wealth to me makes, I think about um, one thing you could do is you could create a trillion dollar fund that is um, available for uh, maybe some grants, but I think even zero interest loans, at least available in addition to grants for black owned businesses. I know some people say, no, no, we don't want loans. We want it to all be grants. And I think that's fine. But I know that as a black business owner, um, sure, a grant is nice, but I would have just been happy to get a good loan for, you know, low or no interest where I could go and do like the white boys and go borrow a million dollars so I could really do what I wanted to do. A lot of black business owners are out here bootstrapping. A lot of black business owners are pissed because they saw a hundred million dollars go to Black Lives Matter so they can do their little Marxist LGBT agenda. And they didn't see that money coming to the black community. There are black business owners out here that are creating jobs that had no funding. They can't even go to the bank. I know I know black businesses that are generating millions of dollars a year. They can't even get a loan equivalent to two weeks of revenue. I knew I literally I talked to a guy whose company made three million dollars last year. He said, I couldn't even get the bank to loan me seven hundred thousand dollars. What the fuck is that? What is that? What the hell? What is that? Like you mean to tell me that even the people that are making millions of dollars a year can't even borrow? $700,000? Get out of here. You know, so so I, I think that's some low-hanging fruit. Create a, a trillion-dollar fund, create a committee with people like me on it, where we can, without any strings attached, allow Black businesses to come in and get, um, get massive loans to really supersize their businesses and get training to go with that. Right. We've got the black business school. You give me a hundred million dollars tomorrow. I can deploy black business schools all across the United States and have black people looking like the most economically educated group of people on the planet. Like I know how to do this. I, I'm doing that from a YouTube channel. I've accomplished more from a YouTube channel than most universities have accomplished <laughs> with, with billions of dollars in resources. Imagine if we had that kind of money, what we could do for the community, right? So, and again, I don't even, you know, and, and I'm and I'm really taking, I want to take myself out of the conversation, right? Because I we, we, we found a way to make a way, right? We figured out how to get what we need. We, we, we're making it happen. But, you know, I, I think that this is the kind of thing that, that ends up frustrating me because you've got models that work. You've got models that are successful at achieving the goal. You know, you've got schools. Uh, Marcus Klein from Freedom Home Academy International. I invited him to my wedding. And uh, and I love this guy because he was able to build the best educational institution I've ever seen in my life, like with peanuts. Why doesn't he have a $50 million a year budget? If he has the solution, why, why are we not funding the solution? Well, because it goes back to that fundamental question I asked you before. Are you really trying to solve the problem? Or are you trying to pretend like you're solving the problem? I don't think they're really trying to solve the problem. Because if you're really trying to solve the problem, then you would really aim for the solution. You would find out where the solutions lie and you would dig deeper into the solution. You would double down on the things that are working and move away from the things that are not working. They're not doing that. They're double down, double downing on the things that are not working and ignoring the things that are. Okay. So 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 this is your, your fundamental issue, right? So so when I think about you know what we're gonna try to do with the black business school, I don't have a lot of faith that the government's ever gonna see 
you know, what we can do, right? I mean, a lot of you in here will say, like, give me a yes in the chat if you can confirm that you've probably learned more about economics, at least, from me than you ever learned in college. You probably went to college four years and two years of graduate school and learned more literally by coming to this platform or taking a class in the Black Business School than you learned from anything else. Give me a yes in the chat. Please say something because it, it makes us feel, it makes us happy. Let's us know we're not talk, talking to the air. Um, and, and, and then we're going to keep building on that, right? The com- we're building, you know, from the community. We're, we're bootstrapping it. We're making it happen uh you know it would be nice for example if we got a bunch of celebrities who leveraged all their power their so-called power and clout they have online you know help us get access to another 50 million so we can really blow this thing up you know maybe one day that'll happen i don't know i'm not waiting for that um but i definitely am not waiting for the government to be that solution because i don't think your government's ready i think white supremacy is too insidious in this country for them to ever really solve the problem of reparations they don't even want to address it there it's taken them 30 years to even decide to even consider studying whether or not reparations are necessary and how to implement reparations. You understand that? Like they're not even, I mean, they're dragging their feet beyond dragging. Like they're not even, they're not even to the point of dragging their feet. Their feet aren't even off the bed yet. So, so I don't really know how we're going to get to a point where meaningful reparations are paid. I just don't have a lot of faith in that, to be honest with you. But, but anyway, Here's more um, of what I think would have would have to happen in the wealth category. I think that that free land is important. Remember, go back to the basics. Remember, keep it simple. There's a statement. Uh, there's a uh, there's something called Occam's Razor. Tell me if you've ever heard about Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor basically says that the simplest solution is the one that is usually right. Right. So I go back to Occam's Razor. I like to keep things simple. And uh, and so to me, simplicity means let's go back to 40 acres and a mule. Let's let's talk about that. You promised 40 acres and a mule. You didn't deliver. Deliver. Just come back to that. Maybe not a mule, 40 acres and a car or something. I don't know. Just 40 acres and a horse, 40 acres and a cow, 40 acres and, you know, in, in a in a moped. I, I don't give I don't give I just something. Let's go back to that. Right. So land land is an important part of that because land is one of the fundamental building blocks of wealth. Um, mortgages would also be an avenue for the acquisition of real estate. So to me, um, if you're pushing for reparations, no black person anywhere should have to go to a bank that can, no black person anywhere who has shown the ability to pay rent in an apartment should have any trouble at all getting a loan for a home. If you have been paying $1,500 a month in rent, what in the world makes them think you can't pay a twelve hundred dollar a month mortgage? How much? How much damn sense does that make? That makes no damn sense at all. Uh, you don't. You don't pay twenty years worth of rent. <laughs> they bought your landlord a house, by the way, right? You add up that. You add up that rent money over a twenty year period. That's a lot of money, and th- and they're still telling you you don't qualify for a mortgage. That's BS. So you need um, instead of having like these um, instead of having like the, these social justice kinds of uh, situations, you know, where, where you've got people monitoring from a social justice standpoint, you need people that are monitoring from an economic justice standpoint, right? Like, so imagine if you had someone like me, not me, I don't want to work for the government, but let's say someone like me, who was a czar of economic justice, who basically said every bank in America, as a part of the reparations plan, must approve any mortgage loan of any black person who has proven that they have the ability to repay that debt, right? That would be massive. That would be huge because so many of you, how many of you right now, raise your hand, how many of you right now, if you could go borrow a quarter million dollars 
and and make the payments on that quarter million over a 30 year period. So quarter million a payment on quarter million dollars over a 30 year period at reasonable interest rates. That payment might be, let me think here. I'm trying to do, uh, do the math in my head. That might be like $1,800 a month, $2,000 a month. How many of y'all could, ha- could hack that? How many of y'all could find something to do with that, with that quarter million dollars, whether it's buy your first house, get your business off the ground or whatever? How many of you could find something to do with that money and could make that payment of about $1,800 to two grand a month? How many of you can handle that? Give me a yes or no. Give me a yes or no in the chat if you're in that category, right? Millions of people can handle that. Millions of you can handle that. Why isn't that financing made available? Like you could, you could accomplish a lot just by making capital available to everybody that has a dream. Because so many dreams get killed because the dreamer can't get access to the money they need to make it happen. You're denying them access to the financial vehicle. They're not asking you to give them a ride to the destination. They're just asking you to give them access to a car. Let the, they'll drive themselves. Just give them access to the car. Like, so anyway, moving on. Um, I think so. I think black people should have our own schools. We should have a trillion dollar fund uh, for businesses. The no strings attached uh, mortgages for any black person who shows the ability to pay uh, free land. Give Just give everybody 40 acres or whatever. Go take it. Take it from those farmers or whatever you got to do. Just go get our land back. Um, also, uh, relationships. Remember, I say health, wealth and relationships. When I think about relationships, I think about family and I think about our bad relationships with each other, where our trauma causes us to fight and spend a lot of time going back and forth with each other after we're re-triggering each other. And we don't we can't build businesses together, can't build families together, whatever. Well, that's where our army of therapists comes in. And I think that those therapists can help us build better relationships. And uh, and just and again, because I'm a do for sulfur also, because I don't have a lot of faith in in white people saving us. I just don't believe that's going to happen. I would I would encourage you until white folks decide to write a check. I encourage you to still make sure you understand the value of therapy and mental health. Um, If you understand therapy, if you you get connection to the tools of therapy, what that allows you to do is one, to deal with your own stuff so that you're not constantly triggered and constantly reacting in an overly emotional way that destroys everything of value in your life. That's going to cause you to not be able to set goals and accomplish them. It's going to cause you to not be able to maintain relationships with with a partner who can actually help you. Right. A good partner. Like, you know, fellas, I'm telling you, if you ever want to really succeed, Get you like a real quality woman by your side, like a good quality woman by your side will help you see your blind spots. If you're humble enough to hear it, she will help you to she'll add an angle to what you're doing. That is another brain in the room that can kind of make you smarter and better at everything. Like I I do stuff like, for example, I'm kind of socially I'm not going to say I'm socially awkward, but I'm a mathematician. So I'm kind of a weirdo just by design. And Alicia is a social butterfly. So she's super social and I'm not so social. So people will come over and it's like, it's like it creates a, a special dynamic because they may not like me, but they love her, right? So because they love her, they love us both, right? And uh, and so so really little things like that can make a big difference for you. Or, or like when you're, or ladies, like when you're raising your kids, like having a good man by your side makes it so much easier to raise your kids. Like you have a teammate, you have a partner, you can say, okay, you do that, I'm gonna take a nap. Or you pick up, you know, you pick up David from school I got. I'll go to uh, Trina's ballet recital, right? And and you find a way to um to work together as a team. And and I think that there are a lot of people that don't even know that this is the way it's supposed to be. You know, when I would hear like a a single parent really struggling and talking about how hard it is to be a single mom, etc. Part of me also wants to remind you, like that it ain't supposed to really be like that. Like kids are not easy to raise. It's hard to do. You benefit from a good teammate. Right. And, and, and so so that means that, you know, picking the right relationships, 
is critical and learning how to do that and learning how to get out of your own way because the way we choose who to bring into our lives a lot of times comes down to how we were raised and whatever BS we saw when we were growing up or you know maybe you're attracted to thugs and you don't realize thugs are also the guys that'll come and kill you if they get mad at you or maybe you're used to chasing a big button and a smile so you chase after every pretty girl and not realizing that there's a difference between that pretty woman and actually a beautiful wife right those are two different types of people and so I think that the therapy kind of helped you really tap into that to know why you make decisions and how to make good decisions and then also the therapy can help you to have good relationships because if you can maintain that house and keep each other at bay and stay cool and stay connected and stay on the same page, then you can build empires together. You can build structure. Structure is extremely important, right? And then also you can form business relationships with other people and know how to work through all the disagreements and disputes that are going to arise. There's always going to be a dispute that you have. And if everyone is constantly triggered because everybody went through so much hell growing up that they're scared to death and mad and whatever pissed off and pissed at my parents for what they did. And, and, and I, and my cousin got shot in the hood or whatever. So, so I'm always triggered very easily. But what that does is that ruins your relationships. And then that person who could have been a great ally for you, who could have been a great teammate for you, is actually now your enemy. So they're either out of your life or they're working to destroy your life. Either way, you're losing when you could have been winning. Right. So a lot of times, you know, that word poor, when we say the word poor stands for passing over opportunities repeatedly. Well, that's what happens when you are fighting with another black person. You're missing the opportunity to be friends and to get support from that person, right? Maybe getting support would have came down to having a different gate. Let me give you a real life example. This is real stuff. This is all related to, this is related to all of this, right? So this is the Dr. Boyce reparations package, right? I don't know what you want to call this, but um, think about it like this. Um, you know, when I first met Alicia and I met her in the, uh, I met her in the library um, at Indiana University. I didn't meet her in the club. Um, I, I don't, I didn't, you know, I don't, I didn't want to date girls I met in the club, right? Because I'm, I'm not a clubber, right? Why would I want to go to the club with you? Like, that's a waste of time. I met her in the library. And uh, and so years later, you know, we're both college professors. Actually, I think I'm wearing an Indiana University shirt. I don't know. Let me see if I, yeah, yeah, I still got my Indiana University shirt on. I didn't realize I had that on. And um, and when I first met her, I, I saw her and she looked so pretty. She's the prettiest thing I've ever seen. And I walked over and I, I just said hi to her. And the first thing she did was she said, hi. And she gave me a nice, pretty smile and she was really friendly and we had a great conversation. And so let's say that she was, um, you know, a traumatized person who was mad at black men because of something that her uncle did or or her ex-boyfriend did or, or her daddy did or whatever. And she saw me and saw something different. Let's say she saw me as a guy like, oh, Lord, here's an here's another here's another dude up here trying to run game. blah blah blah. And then she gave me like a frown or gave me like a snarl. Like, what, what do you want? Like, OK, I, I don't have time to talk right now. Like, let's say that her gait had been completely different. Well, you know what would have happened is I would have walked away. I would have said, I'm sorry, I didn't want to disturb you. Um, I just want to say hi. I, I have a good day. And I would have walked away, right? Uh, you know, and, and, and you think about that, right? So here we are years later, we're getting married this month and we're going to be um, teammates. Like we already are teammates. We do a lot of stuff together, not just business stuff, but like raising the kids is like a, it's a full-time job for everybody, right? Um, and, and if we hadn't, if we had a bad interaction that first time we met each other, like if, if one of us had somehow been triggered or if I had been running to, you know, coming up to her was on some BS because I think that, you know, women are trash or I think that, you know, you got to play them before they play you or I'm on this weird mindset that some guys have, you know, like you got to pimp these hoes, that type of thinking that comes from hip hop culture, which again is promoted by white supremacist uh, radio stations and all this other stuff. 
um, then that would have created a whole different dynamic, which would have led us to go this way instead of coming together. So coming together means that now we've got uh, a, a joint effort to build some sort of legacy, to build some sort of empire together, some sort of family together. Whereas if we were separate, we'd be off hustling on our own individually. So you can do things on your own. I think somebody said that you can do it on your own. Yeah, there are lots of things you can do on your own. No question about it. But remember, there's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And a lot of our people are exhausted and worn down and sad and depressed and just miserable because you've been doing it all by yourself. And a lot of us don't need to hear, like, you're not supposed to do it by yourself. And if you are a person who has an open gate where you allow that love into your space, you're, 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 you're embracing other people, you're, you're, you're supporting other people, you're, you're creating this sort of positive engagement with others, then next thing you know, you got a click in a posse. And, and one thing about economics, I'm going to tell you something about economic strength, you know, and, and other types of strength is that you're always better as a group most of the time. Most of the time, you are better when you got people that have your back. You're better when you're in a in a in a gang. Like I and I and this is something I, I try to think about in every aspect of life. Like you guys know on my Twitch channel, and I'll give you guys the the URL if you want to come and hang out with us. We we play Call of Duty, right? And it's something I just wanted to do. And, and I know people think it's immature, but I think maturity is kind of overrated. Like so, anyway. So I, I play Call of Duty, um, which is a really awesome video game with 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 a bunch of the brothers. And uh, and one thing I say to them when we start playing, it, you know, it's, it's we go into this thing. It's called the war zone and you're going in and everybody's trying to shoot each other. Basically, it's a really violent game. It's terrible. But what I say to the guys is I say, stay together, stay together, work together, communicate. Let's, let's plan our strategy. Let's talk about what we're going to do before we do it. Because I, one thing I noticed was I said, think about this. Whenever you're out there and you're playing, if you're by yourself and you run into a whole group, that's organized and structured, you know, you're dead. You can't go. You say, Oh God, I ran into a whole team of people. I got to get out of here. Right. It's like running into a whole street gang. You can't be the street gang by yourself. You ain't Bruce Lee. Even Bruce Lee can't be the whole street gang by himself, right? By himself. So, so, so I said, look, so think about that. Right. So when you see a group and you're competing against a group, you can't win. Right. So I said, let's be a group. And then when they come after any one of us, they can't win. They're going to fear us the same way that you fear them. And the reason that white supremacy, this I'm going to circle this back around because we talk about the systemic nature of racism in America, which you should you can learn from Dr. Claude Anderson's book. Go take a go to powernomics.com. Everybody should take a look at his books. Your kids should be reading his books, too. He talks about the reason that white folks have gotten such a grip on you. The reason they were able to get together and beat you to death and rob you blind is because they operate as a group. <laughs> They had group think. They made laws and systems that brought them together. A system, a even a corporation is a system, which is nothing more. Technically, if you look up the definition of a corporation, it is a nexus of relationships. This is where that word relationship comes into play. Y'all think I'm just talking about relationships just to be cute. No, relationships are everything. It is everything. So a corporation is nothing more than a nexus of relationships, and those relationships have to be maintained. This is why things like therapy are so important, because they give you tools to maintain relationships, right? And that nexus of relationships gives you a type of power that you, as a collective that you could never have as an individual. So white supremacy controls you because they stay on code. Right. They maintain that nexus of relationships to make sure they say, look, as much as we might disagree with each other, we all agree on one thing. Black people down, white people up. 
<laughs> right? Like they say, Louis used to say, pimps up, hoes down, right? So, so you're the hoes and, and they're the pimps, right? So, so I encourage you to use that energy to your advantage, right? Fix the, the mending of Black relationships, the mending of our ability to work together and to love one another and to find a way to resolve our differences is one of the most critical uh, achievements that we will accomplish with our collective in the 21st century. Everybody isn't going to get it. There's a lot of people who will never get on that code who are on some other stuff, and that's fine. That's what they're right. But some of you understand this, and some of you are listening. And those of you that are listening, I tell you to focus on those things. That's how you can pay yourself reparations. And you won't even really care when the government check comes along because your family will be doing so well that you're not even going to be worried about that. So um, so that's my thought on the re- on the reparations conversation. I, y- y'all know me. I, I, I took it in a lot of directions that you may not hear um, in other places, but I feel like it's important to do that because I don't want them to water it down. They always water it down and they water it down because they don't respect you and you allow yourself to be disrespected. They, they, so they, they blend you in with all these other groups and start talking about everything from, you know, from gay rights and everything else. And, and I don't care about your gay rights. Just stop acting like that's the same as being black. It's not the same as being black. So quit that. Stop that. You know, and, you know, and, 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 and I, I just want you to kind of know where the power is. Again, so let's go back to that key point I made in the beginning so we can make sure this conversation goes full circle. Thank you, Surviving the Fray, uh, for your donation and support. I appreciate you very much. Uh, thank you also to Kevin Goodwin, who says you make my money and my intelligence level up. Good, man. I'm, I'm very happy to hear that, brother. I'm very happy to hear that you're doing well. And I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy that anybody's doing well because of what they get from here. I mean, that's why would you come here if you weren't benefiting? I want you to benefit. I want you to win from this. Um, but I want to go back. So, so when you talk about the political debate, I want us to stick with one key point. Talk about the money. LGBT rights, fine. But talk about the money. Um, Gender issues, okay, fine. Talk about the money. Immigration, fine. Talk about the money. Black Lives Matter, fine. Talk about the money, right? If you talk about the money, the money is the one thing that controls everything. He who has the gold makes the rules. So when you talk about changing laws and everything else, you don't change laws just with a vote. You change laws with money because money buys votes in America. That's how America operates. Okay, so hit the thumbs up button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe button if you haven't done it yet. And uh, also, um, I want to remind you guys, we have something called the Black Boss Channel, which is a YouTube channel for black men only. Uh, We have brothers that go on there. And if you want to hear the perspectives of black men or if you are a black man and you support or you support the brothers, I hope you will subscribe to the Black Boss Channel. We have guys like Nathaniel Jordan, the minister of wellness, who's on there. I love this guy. He talks about preventative health so that you're not waiting around for a government shot to be healed. You're, You're actually taking preventative actions to minimize all the different ways that black people die, whether you're talking about heart disease and diabetes, all sorts of stuff. He's very good at that. Uh, we also have Jeff Lysey Jr. who does sports. We have people that go on there and talk about stocks. There's a lot of stuff that happens on the Black Boss channel. So feel free to go check it out. And uh, and uh, we hope you will support us in the quest to build black media. So please hit the thumbs up button, share button, subscribe button on your way out. I'm out of here, guys. I hope you have a wonderful day. And um, I'll, I'll keep letting you guys know how the wedding uh, planning goes. And and when the wedding's done, I'll run a live stream of the wedding. Uh, it's not going to be live. I can't run it live, live, because uh, I want to respect the guests. But after it's done, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pop a video up so you guys can uh, take a look if you'd like to join us. So uh, take care, and I uh, love you guys. I'll see you soon. Have a good day. Peace. Here we are, clan, the isms, cataclysm, great. 
Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn into intelligence. Believe none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down, Dr. Voice TV. Here we are.